to remember them, it's just the simple acronym FOAM, F-O-A-M, for Framework Offer Audience and Messaging. And pretty much any A-B test you could think of for a landing page will probably fit into one of those four categories. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters, and I'm your host, Matt Rouse. And today, my guest is Nicholas Scalis, who is a growth marketing consultant who helps brands turn website visitors into leads and customers using high converting landing pages. He's the founder of growthmarketer.co and is the host of the top rated podcast called Growth Marketing Toolbox. Nicholas, how are you? Pretty good. How are you, Matt? I am doing well. So I wanted to have you on the show to talk about landing pages because it's something that we haven't really discussed in the past, which would be surprising as a digital marketing podcast in the 110th or something episode Congrats. at this point. Yeah. You'd think landing pages is something we'd go over all the time, but it comes up, but we never really dug into it that much. I actually have one of your landing pages up here right now, which is growthmarketer.co slash framework. Why don't you explain kind of the idea of, of what you do, and then you can tell us what the idea behind the framework is. Absolutely. Well, yeah, great to be here. So yeah, I'm a growth marketing consultant, and I've been working in uh, the digital marketing industry for over 11 years. And for about the last five years, I've been specializing in conversion optimization, which is a fancy way of saying helping businesses convert more of the traffic that they're already getting into leads and customers. Because what I find is that a lot of folks, new advertisers, new marketers, established agencies, they focus way too much on traffic and getting traffic through paid advertising, through SEO, through content marketing, social media. But then once they acquire that traffic and they send it to their website, the traffic does not convert. Those people do not turn into customers. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do as marketers, right? We want to get more leads and we want to get more customers. And so if we're not doing that, if we're not focusing on that, we're just wasting our marketing dollars and our time. So I saw this opportunity to really focus in on landing pages, which can be kind of a boring topic at times, but I try to keep it not so boring. And yeah, that's what we do. So we have a little agency where we help folks actually build and optimize landing pages, primarily through a service called Unbounce, which we could talk more about in a bit. And then I try to help educate folks who want to learn more about basically converting their website traffic into leads and customers. I mean, you guys can't see this from the podcast, but I am using a coaster for my tea right now <laughs> that says some of our best ideas come out of beer and it's from the Unbounced Landing Page Conference. Yep. <laughs> I remember early on when Unbounced kind of first became a company, I used to follow Ollie Gardner. I think he's the founder, right? Or one of the founders anyway. One of, and uh, so they, they build, they have a company. It's called Unbounce. It creates landing page creating software. It's kind of software to basically drag and drop and be able to create sections of landing pages and track the results and, and do some CRO, which is the fancy modern term for conversion rate optimization, which just means getting more people to take the action you want them to take once they get to the landing page. But anyway... Before we get into more about landing pages, they used to have a YouTube show. And, and before it was on YouTube, it was on a platform called Blab that doesn't exist anymore. Oh, wow. And it was called Page Fights. 
and page fights is when people would submit their landing pages and then the team of designers and Ollie Gardner and his staff would get together and they would basically make fun of and tear up the landing pages to figure out how that company could make something better. And I think somewhere along the line, someone got their feelings hurt at a company <laughs> or something and complained and they canceled it. Yeah. But it was the best landing page optimization show in the whole world, right? At the time. So let's dig into it. Let's start from the basics for somebody who may not have any real experience with a landing page. They say, well, I've got a website. Why don't I just send people to my website? Yeah, that's the age old question. How is a landing page different than a website? So, you you know, you still need a website. I'm, I'm not against websites, although we do have a lot of clients that we work with that technically don't have a website. They just have a bunch of landing pages that they send paid media to. And that's their strategy. And it works. So it's up to you if you if you want a website, if you don't want a website. But the way I like to think of it is a website is you, you don't know who's going to land on your website or your homepage. So you sort of have to appeal to everybody. Some people might want to just buy a product or contact you or read your blog or check out your social media. So you have to have multiple calls to action to sort of appeal to everyone and cast a wide net. With a landing page, however, in most cases, you're going to use your landing page for like a paid advertising campaign like Facebook ads or Google ads or maybe an email marketing campaign. So you kind of know what people are going to expect. And that means that you can narrow down and simplify the page. And so one best practice for a landing page is that you should only have one main call to action. So you're not going to have your social media links and links to your blog and contact us and all that. If you are selling a book, you're going to have a link that says buy our book. And so it's a, a very efficient way to really hone in on whatever that one action is that you want people to take and sort of strip out all of the unnecessary stuff. And in doing that, you're going to hopefully increase the conversion rate because people are much more focused and they're able to take a very specific action. Right. I like the uh, kind of the thing that people have, have mentioned about it before is it's like like taking a ride with like a horse and buggy or a horse <laughs> carriage and they have those little things on the sides the of the horse's eyes, the blinders. Yeah. And what you want to do with the landing page is put the blinders on. People have an absolute horrible, horrible shiny object syndrome these days. People are used to notifications and whatever else is happening, right? So you really got to focus them and landing pages are about focus. Yeah, well said. Now that somebody knows what a landing page is, right, why they're going to use it, what are some of the kind of best practices for a landing page? Yeah, so there's there's a whole bunch. And so we probably don't have time to cover all of them. But our philosophy or my philosophy has been instead of talking about the different things that should be on your landing page, like you need to have testimonials and you need to have a call to action button. To me, that's it's a very simplistic way of looking at it. And there's a lot of articles online. If you Google, you know, landing page elements or what should be on a landing page and you look at like Google images, you're going to see all these very similar articles and infographics that show basically the same thing. My philosophy has been to take it a step further and actually think about what are the questions that you're trying to answer for someone who visits your landing page? Because at the end of the day, people are on that page with some assumptions and some questions. And a lot of times these are subconscious questions. So for instance, people want to know what is this page about? And so what I've done is created a framework that tries to answer those questions or tries to help you answer those questions for your visitor. So I'll give you one quick example for the first uh, question, which is 
what is this page about? I call that the clarity question because we need to make sure that we are quickly letting people know what this page is about and what it's offering. And so a simple way to do that is to have a very clear and compelling headline. So a lot of times you go to a landing page and you see a whole bunch of text getting thrown at you. But really what you want to see is one main headline that's going to talk about whatever the value is that you're offering or the product or the service. And there's no one size fits all. But the idea there, the takeaway is that if you have a landing page that is too cluttered with too much text above the fold, meaning when someone first looks at it, you know, the stuff they see right away, that's going to confuse people and that's going to create friction. It's going to raise their cortisol levels. It's been proven, you know, psychologically, it has an impact on people. And so you want to simplify that with one simple headline, maybe a sub headline, maybe a call to action button and keep it simple and keep it clear. Because when you get too complex with your messaging or you use too much jargon, you're going to lose people. Right. We call that the block of text. <laughs> exactly. So we have an email marketing course called Inbox Mastery. And one of the things in there is people have a bad habit of writing their stuff for their clients on a computer or a laptop when their clients are looking at it on a phone. On mobile. Yeah. Right. So that three lines of text that they had on mobile turns into 12 and takes up the whole screen. Right. So clarity absolutely the most important thing. I cannot stress to you enough that being clear with your message at the top of the page and not a bunch of nonsensical BS, right? So how many times, and you can, I'm sure you've seen this a thousand times also, you go to somebody's website or you go to a landing page and it's like, we bring the future to you today. And you're just like, what does that mean? Are you selling a, a bunch of machine? Yeah. Right? Like, well, yeah, we are your multi-channel, omni-channel We're power partner to synergize with the, yeah. Like, it's just a bunch of jargon and it's meaningless, right? So if another industry could take your landing page text and put it on their page and it still makes sense, you haven't done your homework properly. Right. So your landing page says the seven question landing page framework. I'd say that's fairly clear. There's going to be seven questions. <laughs> it's a framework for landing pages. Right. Then it says discover how to convert more visitors into leads and customers using the exact process that's worked for thousands of landing pages. Get the free guide today. So I know that there's going to be a free guide. I know that it's about converting visitors and leads into customers we're going to get a process and then there's a big button that says get the guide. That's you know, very the context clear. is important too cuz like for that page uh, the one you're talking about the growthmarketer.co/framework the people that get sent to that page are either from a paid advertising campaign that we're running or a podcast or something. So there's already some context because they're expecting to get the guide. And so that's why that headline is so direct. But if I were you know, trying to present that same information to someone who has absolutely no idea what a landing page is, I would use a, a different headline. I would sort of lead into it by starting with a problem, then introducing the solution. So I think, you know, just as important as it is to be simple with your headline and, and be clear, it's also really important to understand the context and where people are going to be coming from as they get to that page. Absolutely. Context. You may hear people say this in the marketing world or on podcasts and stuff calling ad scent. Oh, yeah. Like smell. Right. And it's it has to match when when you go to the ad and then you click through and you go to the landing page. It needs similar phrasing, similar language. It has to be the same type, you know, like the same voice. Right. And so you so you want some continuity 
for each step of the way. And that's a big factor if you're especially if you're going to do paid advertising. For sure. You can't you can't do paid advertising and like be all jokey and, and meme stuff and then have it go to something super serious or, you know, the other way around. It just doesn't work, you know, and, and you don't want something that may seem like a bait and switch. Right. Like you don't want like, you know, find out how to cook better potatoes and you go to the page and it's like, buy my hair care. You know, it's just not the same thing. Right. You know, yeah, you want to fulfill the promise that you're making. So, yeah, a, a great way to think about AdSense or congruency between the ad and the landing page is people are expecting something when they click on an ad or when they click on a link in an email. And so you've essentially made a promise in that ad, whatever it may be. It could be as simple as learn more. They want more information. So you're making the promise to provide more information. And so it is, it's your duty as a, as a legit, honest marketer to fulfill that promise. And, yeah, I see it happen all the time where – you know, people are just writing these clickbait headlines, even with emails, you see these, these subject lines on emails that are total clickbait and it just creates a very negative experience. So while you might get a short term boost in terms of clicks, you're going to lose people in terms of the trust and the authenticity of your brand. So it's uh, always better to be authentic and create a high level of congruency between your landing page copy and your ad copy. For sure. Beyond being consistent and, and, you know, have that congruency there, it looks like that you've got a lot of stuff on your landing page that I would consider, we would call them trust factors, right? So you've got logos of companies that you've worked with on there. You've got what is in this guide kind of thing. It's got your picture and your name and your business title is on there. You've got a chat that's like an intercom style kind of web chat on there. You've got a testimonial on there. The testimonial has a name and a picture and a title and the logo of their company. All of these things build trust. And even if it's subconscious, you know, the, the trust factor, like you said, is 100 percent the most important thing. No one says, you know what? I don't really trust that guy, but I think I'm going to give him my money. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually one of the seven questions in the framework. A question that people have is all about trust. So it's the trust question. How do I, how much do I trust this? And trust can mean so many different things. The way I would define trust when it comes to a landing page is that what people are really talking about is three things, the credibility. So that's the perception. Do people believe what it is that you're saying or whatever you're promising? The second thing is reliability. So they might believe that you have the best product, but is it reliable? Are you actually going to deliver on it? And so that has more to do with actions. And then the third thing is security and a no brainer when it comes to security with landing pages these days or websites really is you want to make sure that your actual page is secure with the little lock icon because now Google Chrome shows not secure and that can just create such a an immediate trust issue if you don't have a security certificate on your page. So that's a simple way to make sure that you are doing everything you can to try to improve the level of trust on your page. Yeah, the SSL certificate is what gives you that kind of lock feature on there. You should be able to talk to your host or your landing page provider to get that added. If you're, you know, not a, a technical person, if you are, then, you know, you can host it through a number of ways. I won't get into having a conversation about SSL today, but let's talk about landing pages a little more. 
I've seen several, there's, I mean, there's tons of different kind of templates for landing pages and stuff, but I would say generally the ones you see are there's the setup where you go to it. It has, you know, the headline, sub headline, some kind of photo, some call to action. Then you're going to have your uh, kind of trust factors. There's going to be a little bit more information. If somebody needs more help, you're going to have a testimonial, usually one to three testimonials. Then there's a final kind of call to action on the page. Sometimes they'll have like a, a bullet list or something, a feature list or something like that. And then another call to action. Don't be afraid to put a lot of call to actions on the page, calls to action on the page. But then there's, there's some other ones. So like there's the uh, three step video framework is one I see pretty often. And that's a landing page where you go to it and there's a video and then you put in your information to get to the next video. And then it sends you like an email drip campaign to get three videos to walk through. And then, you know, day, I guess it's email five or four, I guess, would be like the kind of the deal closer email that goes to a landing page. And all of those are landing pages, right? What other types of landing pages do you see? Maybe other formats or styles or other than just the couple that I've mentioned so far? Yeah. So one that comes to mind is what we would call like a squeeze page, which is a very, very simplistic landing page. And I'm actually not a fan of those types of experiences because even the name, you know, squeeze page, they're trying to squeeze you to get, get you to take action. And so you'll usually see it with like a very gimmicky call to action to download some free report that's going to change your life. And so I would actually recommend staying away from those really short format pages because Going back to the framework, that's not going to answer all the questions someone has. So it's all about answering the questions people have as they visit that page to build up enough trust so that they actually want to take action. And a lot of times squeeze pages, they're just too simplistic. One other interesting use case for landing pages that is often overlooked is the confirmation or the thank you page. So if you were to opt in to my landing page, for instance, you're taken to a thank you page. And a lot of times all it says is thank you, check your email or, or we'll be in touch soon. But there's a huge opportunity there to offer a secondary offer like a, an upsell, a cross sell. It doesn't even have to be something you're selling. It could be uh, join our Facebook group, which is something that's worked really well for us. Probably the number one way we've built our Facebook group over the years has been as a secondary offer on a thank you page. So as a great takeaway for anyone listening, if you have any type of thank you page or confirmation page, go take a look at it. And if it just says, thanks, check your email, you're missing out. And you really should think about what are some other opportunities here to book a call, to send people to a group, to send them to one of your top blog posts, just to get them to go further down into that funnel and take more action because they're in the moment, they're excited. So you should give them some more content. Another thing that you could do with that is if, if you have an opt in, you know, like they're giving you their email, you can have a welcome email that also contains that information. So a good idea is to have a thank you page, which, by the way, you can also put conversion code on. So when you're running ads, you know, if somebody has successfully filled out the form or taken the action you want them to take because you have the conversion code on that landing page or your conversion pixel, you know, talk to your you know, technical person, if you're not a technical person on how to set that up. And then you can have 
a good example is SendFox, which we use for our email now. We just switched over from MailChimp to SendFox. It works great, by the way. But when you sign up for SendFox, the thank you page has resources on things about how to sign up and how to get the process started. But you also get a welcome page and it tells you things about how to write better emails. Nice. Like it's it's a perfect kind of match on both sides. And uh, yeah, we're absolutely doing the Facebook group thing with our clients and our own stuff. You know, if you get to the thank you page, ask, you know, do you, you, you could join our group, follow us on Instagram. Here's our YouTube. You know, we've got some of that stuff on there. Let's talk for a minute about kind of a landing page funnel because you had mentioned upsells. And so some people may not know what all these terms are. So an upsell, when somebody is opting in, they might be opting into something that's free. And then an upsell could be another free thing that they could get, or it could be something that's paid. A lot of times with those upsell funnels, you'll see they're like usually with click funnels or something like that. They'll be set up where you opt in. They'll ask for like your credit card information and then they'll have another upsell. So if you purchase something, they'll be like, well, maybe you also want this other thing. (laughs) And it's usually so good. You have to add it and you already put your credit card in. So, right. And then they will just add it to your order before they process your credit card. And if you don't take that, they'll do a downsell, which is something else that you can buy that's cheaper. (laughs) <laughs> or it could be another free thing. A company that does a great job, obviously ClickFunnels is a great example. Another one is digitalmarketer.com. They're very well known for doing the $7 opt-in where you you would actually, in most cases, you would have a free opt-in. So it'd be like a free lead magnet, but then they'll try to sell you a $7 offer and they call it a, a self-liquidating offer because it, they're not really making any money on it. It's really just to cover the acquisition cost of what they had to pay to acquire you as a customer. But now that you've become a customer, even if it's just a measly $7, you put your credit card information in and it is so much easier to get someone to buy a bigger ticket item if they've already made some type of purchase. So that's when they'll take you from that $7 self-liquidating offer to the big offer, which might be for one of their courses or certifications. And then, you know, you're in that funnel and then they're going to try to sell you tickets to Traffic and Conversion Summit. And so, yeah, if you can get someone to, to make that leap from being a free lead to a customer, even if it's just $7, that can be a world of a difference in terms of the future value of that lead. We call that stepping. I think digital marketer calls it ascension, right? You're trying to ascend them from free something that is of real value to buying something that seems like it's free or close to free. They, I don't know what they're doing right now because I signed up for digital marketer years ago, but at the time it was a free plus shipping offer for a book for Ryan Dice's book. And so it was $7 or $8 shipping for the book. You got a free hardcover book and they sent you a nice little box and a bunch of crap in it. And, and the idea from that is since you got the book, you could join their engagement group. That's like a monthly mastermind kind of thing for a dollar, right? For the first 90 days or something. And, you know, I bought it for 90 days and now I've been paying them 34 bucks a month (laughs) for three years, right? (laughs) It worked. And then I went to Traffic Conversion Summit and I went to CNC. I went to Digital Agency Expo. They've made thousands and thousands of dollars off me, but I like their stuff. So yeah, they're really good. I love free plus shipping offers are amazing. If you have a product that you could do for that inexpensive price. You know, you can't see it, but Nicholas and I both have a whole bunch of like collectible stuff in our background. So I can see we both have a Domo gun. I haven't seen anybody else with one. I've got one on my shelf. You can't see it in the corner. <laughs> and you got all the books. Yeah, very. And we're both wearing blue shirts. I was going to say, like, what what's going on here? That's true. We're matching today. I've got all the D&D books and the Doctor <laughs> Who's. But if you have a brand that 
has some kind of branding value that your customers like to show off. A good free offer is something like uh, decals or sh- or something like that that's super cheap to print. Stickers are great. I love giving away stickers. Yeah, stickers, decals, bumper stickers. And you can get them so cheap from uh, stickermule.com. It's just amazing how easy it is to, to get stickers. And yeah, that's probably the number one thing I give away. Yeah, if you have sticker, bumper sticker, like those little, what are they called? They're like little cards for your wallet that, you know, can pop out like a, a different kind of little screwdrivers and stuff like that. They're cheap. They're like a dollar, you know, anything that's super cheap, you know, that's like a couple bucks that you can fit into an envelope. Right. Because you don't want to pay more than a stamp on it if you're giving it away for free. And the idea is that your free plus shipping offer should cover the price of the product, the price of shipping and the price of getting that person as a lead by advertising. Right. So if you could work out that system, then you basically are have the first half of a funnel set up to make a million dollars because you can get people into that system for free. If it's two bucks to print the book and it's four bucks to get the person in as a lead and it costs you a couple bucks to ship it or whatever, right? You just charge free plus 10 bucks shipping or whatever to cover everything. You know, you're not making any money. You're not losing any money, but you're building a huge database of clients who already trust you that are reading your book for literally no cost, right? Then you just scale up. Yeah. Scale, scale, scale. And we can talk about scaling on another day, but it's super easy to scale when you have landing pages because you could just buy more ads. Exactly. I think Ryan Dice says it. You know, if you if you can acquire a customer cheaper than your competitor, you're going to win every time because that's that's where the where the challenge is. So you want to get them into your funnel. And as long as you have a good offer at the end of the day, you have something that actually solves a problem and you're acquiring that that customer for a low cost or for free or uh, cheaper than where your competitors are acquiring their customers for, you're going to win. Kind of interesting. And Ryan Dice also said this was that the person who can pay the most for the customer wins because everything on every platform is an auction. So by acquiring customers for free, right, because they're paying you something like free plus shipping, that is cheaply acquiring a customer. And you can't see my air quotes right on the podcast. But also, if you have the ability to do that and pay more for the ad than any of your competitors can, then you've got a real winning combination. So let's talk for a minute about optimization because I want to get back on track a little bit about landing pages again. Sure. There is a million guides to split testing and all the different things you can split test on a landing page. But I have one huge pet peeve about split testing because everyone, like everyone who knows anything about landing pages wants to immediately start split testing everything. <laughs> right. But they have no traffic. Right. Yep. Now, I would say that you need at least a thousand people in whatever your time period is. So like, say you're going to split test stuff for a week, then you need a thousand visitors a week before you should even think about split testing. Yeah, that's that's pretty close. I, I'm always it, it's difficult to give numbers because, you know, you never know how many variants they have, you know, how quickly they could acquire a thousand visits. I do know there's a lot of folks out there that that look at the number of conversions that you would get on each variant as the metric that helps you determine if your test is statistically significant. So, you know, as a rough ballpark, you, you want to try to have about 100 conversions per variant before you start 
analyzing the results. But again, it, it may take you a really long time to, to get a hundred conversions. So that would be a hundred people opting in or a hundred people making a purchase per variant. So that, you know, the numbers vary, but absolutely that's a huge issue in the conversion optimization world because we've all been sold that AB testing will fix everything and everyone runs out to do a test and they just keep running this test with five visitors a day and it never becomes a statistically you know significant test. And yeah, they're just, or, or even worse, they then look at the results that are not statistically significant and they make a decision based on it. That I think is even worse because now you're making what you think is a data-driven decision, but it's really just garbage data. And if you're going to split test a landing page, it means you need to keep all your traffic sources and all your ads and everything consistent, right? Right. You only want to test one thing. If you have an ad set, and I don't want to get too complicated for people who may not be too into digital ads yet, but if you are in a platform like Facebook or let's say maybe you're, you know, Facebook, Instagram, or maybe even like Pinterest, where you have an ad set and you've got multiple ads in there and you have it set so that their system is selecting which ads are shown to which people, then you don't know if they have switched who they're showing the ads to in the middle of your test or not. That's a really good point. Yeah, that creates another variable. So the the main takeaway here is when you're running an A-B test, you want to have one variable in play, one thing that you're changing. And if you're dealing with Facebook's algorithm that could be dynamically serving 20 different variations of your ad, and you're also testing something on your landing page, now you're creating a lot of complexity there. And not only is it going to be harder for the system to figure out what is the actual winning variant of your landing page, but that might not even be conclusive data because of those different variables. Facebook, especially Facebook, may make changes to who they're serving your ads to based on changes to your landing page. Oh, yeah. And so that can be another problem. Facebook could be seeing version A, but giving you people that it thinks will respond to version A when those people might be getting version B. So there's other issues with that. The other another thing is you want to make sure that you've got mature traffic. And when I say mature traffic, I mean, you haven't started the ad campaign like in the last week kind of thing. Because what happens is there's low hanging fruit <laughs> in the world, right? right? There's some people who are dying to get your shit who haven't heard of it yet. And you advertise on Facebook. Facebook finds those people, right? They're the first ones to see the ad. And they immediately buy. And I mean, you probably could have made a landing page that says, this is the thing. Do you want it? And they'd be <laughs> like, sure. That's not going to give you a good split test. Some people will click on anything on Facebook. So you got to you got to be careful. That's right. God bless them. Keep clicking, people. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how we sell stuff. I think split testing, though, once you've got ads in place and, it, and it's working, like it's functioning, you're getting traffic consistently. The numbers seem to be fairly consistent. Now you can start split testing. Now, I know what I would split test first. What would you split test first? And then I'll see if we have the same idea. Yeah, that's a really good question because, you know, I, you hear people say things like, oh, let's change the button color or, or let's change this image. Just the other day, we had a client who wanted us to swap out an image that's way, way, way down on the page. And I mean, if that's what they want, I, I understand it, but that's not going to get you the biggest lift because a lot of people aren't even going to scroll down that far to see it. So what I always recommend, there, there's really four different things that I think you can test on a landing page. Number one would be the framework. So like the actual design of the page. The second thing would be the offer. 
what are you actually offering? The third would be the audience. So it's not technically on the page, but you know, you can get a completely different conversion rate if you just change the traffic source. So if you have a page that is currently, uh, you're, you're sending traffic from Facebook and you switch it and you send traffic from Google, for instance, just to keep it as a simple analogy, Google traffic usually has a much higher level of intent, although it's usually a lower total volume of traffic because those people are looking for what you're offering. So that can change your conversion rate right there. And the fourth thing is messaging. Like, how are you actually positioning the offer? What words are you using? What stage of awareness are you focused on? What is the visual messaging of the page? So those four things, to remember them, it's just the simple acronym FOAM, F-O-A-M, for Framework Offer audience and messaging. And pretty much any A-B test you could think of for a landing page will probably fit into one of those four categories. Now, the number one test that I would recommend is the offer, because I think, you know, at the end of the day, the most important thing on a landing page is the offer, because that's what you're actually giving to people. That's the value that they're getting. So if I had to pick, you know, if someone came to me with four different suggestions, and one of them was to maybe change the offer, or the way we're positioning the offer, that's usually what I'd recommend testing first. And uh, the offer could be, I mean, there's multiple things about the offer you can change, but the biggest one that you, people usually change is the price, right? Testing different price points. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Don't be afraid to test a higher price point, people. Right. If you have something and, you know, say you're selling a course or you're selling, you know, like whatever, some kind of digital guide or something, you know, even if it's a product, uh, a lot of people go, well, we're trying it at 10 and our results aren't that great. So let's try $9. And what they probably should be doing is trying 15 because, you know, it's it's that value equation, right? You, it makes it more premium. Yeah, that's right. If you take the same wine, you pour it into three different bottles and put three different price tags on it. People will always say the expensive one tastes the best. So you got to have that. And one thing, actually, and I don't know if this is something that you guys do or not, we used to do it, is we would take a landing page and we would duplicate the landing page exactly, but we would have one landing page for Facebook and one landing page for Google so that we could isolate the traffic. Separate the traffic, yeah. Because you could do that with analytics, but it's a lot easier if it's just two separate landing pages, right? But also, again, you need enough traffic to make it worthwhile to do that. You can also cross pixel your pages, right? So you could put your analytics on both and your Facebook pixel on both so that you can generate that audience traffic for if you're doing something like retargeting or if you're trying to train the algorithm to get more conversions. Well, that's great. So let me ask you this before we go. What's the best way for somebody to get a hold of you if they want to kind of get better at landing pages? Yeah, you could check out growthmarketer.co. That's where I publish blog posts and that's where you could check out my podcasts and you can download my seven question landing page framework. Or if you want to email me directly, you could just email nicholas at growthmarketer.co. Sounds good. And you know what? I I love landing pages. I think it's such a valuable tool to have in your marketing tool belt for your company. And thank you so much for being on the show today to kind of give us a better idea how landing pages work and what people can do with them. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Matt. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. 
We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.